0: Welcome to Volume 4, Issue 180 of the Kano Rinse Podcast. You can play along with Kano Rinse Volume 4. And as always, I'm going to tell you our next five podcasts in case you wish to do that. Coming up, we have Halo 2, which will also, of course, include Halo 2 Anniversary. Then it's a double game show with frequency and amplitude celebrating uh, the return this year of Rock Band. After that, it's Transistor. Then 999, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. And then we return to the Master Chief for Halo 3. Uh, I would like to extend another warm welcome to uh, many of our new listeners who have uh, found us, been directed our way via uh, Jaeger Gravening's uh, recent very kind write-up of us in uh, in his five essential podcasts article for vice.com it's also on Vice UK and Vice Gaming and I don't, ex- don't know exactly how it works but a lot of people seem to read that site uh, so that's pretty good news for us um, so those of you who have found us with that and decided to stick with us thank you Head to com as well. We're not just a podcast. Um, we do have a full schedule of the podcast there, uh, up until 200 anyway. Uh, but we also have a blog with reviews and articles and other treats. We have links to our merchandise store, uh, so we don't ask for money uh, in any form other than this. We don't have a Patreon or anything like that. But if you want to support us, you can get a T-shirt out of it, and we get like a little tiny percentage of each T-shirt sale. And they look really nice, I have to say. Uh, We also have, of course, a Facebook page on which we disseminate news. Uh, We basically uh, strip out all the stuff that we're not interested in and just post the stories that we are from all around the web. And of course we have a YouTube channel which has been quite it's been uh, suffering a fallow period lately but uh, uh, quick rinses as we call them are a little uh, often quite uh, light hearted compared to the main podcasts uh, playing game videos are to be found on there and there'll be more coming soon often from uh, Darren Gargett but also contributions from other of your favorite caner rinse team members uh, We also have another podcast which comes out every other Wednesday, and it's all about our love of video games music. It's called Sound of Play. Both podcasts uh, are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and other uh, places, but uh, mainly uh, the most important thing is please subscribe to them both and uh, review and rate them as well if you wish. That's really superb of you. Thanks. Nice one. Joining me... On Con Cox in this issue, it's Joshua Garcia and Garrity. Look,
1: I'm a cleaner, I can feel no remorse when seeing a dead body. To me, it's merely a cold, <laughs> rotting
0: flesh. That's that sounds just like you, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and Sean Samantha O'Brien. Okay, is that what Samantha sounds like?
2: That's not what she sounds like at all. No, I'm not going to do her voice. <laughs>
0: no easier said than done (laughs) so killer seven that's all one word there's no space if it were written in letters it would be like k-i-l-l-e-r-s-e-v-e-n it's killer seven um this is your big red spoiler warning um we're probably going to spoil the plot in fact we definitely are but this Mm. is also a warning to firstly to super fans of the game killer seven yes we're going to get things wrong yes we're yeah. going to miss things out yes we're going to get completely confused and miss the point and all sorts we are but uh people who have played this game uh through once or possibly twice in sean's case i'm not sure and we are gonna try our best um but this is our kind of <laughs> this is our experience of the game we'll talk a little bit about the history and all that sort of thing as well um and also to people who absolutely hated this game well as you know if you've listened to Kane and Rince before uh, we're probably not just going to pile on it um like uh, like some people might because we're going to talk about what it tries to do what it achieves what it where it succeeds and where it fails in our opinion so this was one of... I can't remember if there was, a, there was a name for this. It was like the Capcom 5 or something, mm, wasn't it? Yep, when yeah. they announced um, a, a bunch of games which were ostensibly or nominally going to be GameCube exclusive. Of course, did any of them turn out to be GameCube exclusive? Uh, think, PN03. Yep. Uh, yeah. So what was it? Resident Evil 4, PN03, Beautiful Joe. Was that one of them? Yeah. And and one
1: of them never came out, I believe.
0: I forget the Mm -hmm. title of it. Yeah, Yeah, so do I, but we won't be doing a cane or rinse on that. (laughs) So that's (laughs) all right. Um, But yes, as it turned out, everything apart from PN3 ended up with a uh, conversion to uh, other format or formats, certainly PS2. Um, And in this case, that didn't go so well. We'll talk about that. Uh, So the producer... Was uh, Hiroyuki Kobayashi, um, who was uh, a programmer originally on ga- on the early Resident Evil games, turn, uh, became producer for uh, later Resident Evil games, also worked on Devil May Cry, uh, the original, and Piano 3, and of course uh, Goichi, Suda, or Suda One. The 5 is Go, the Ichi is 1. So we're still debating as <laughs> to whether it should be One or 51. Um, I don't know, but we know him as Suda, that's fine. A fun fact supplied by a regular correspondent, Tadinio from the forum, uh, and I uh, have had this corroborated. Suda used to work as an undertaker before becoming, becoming a game developer. Talk about a career change, and this game is full of assassins and blood being used as currency, not to mention the ghost and so on. Uh, a quote from Goichi Suda. About the creative process or his creative process. Uh, this was from 2008, around the time of No More Heroes. You know, when you can see on the screen in No More Heroes, you sit on the toilet to save the game. I guess making a game for me is a bit like that. When you take a shit, everything you've consumed is all mixed together. There are all <laughs> sorts of things in that, and that's the same kind of idea, I think. So, yeah. not sure. I think a lot of people <laughs> might agree how you with that. Talk about- well,. <laughs> Indeed. We've, we've covered several uh, Suda games. Mm-hmm. Uh, search for Suda51 Suda on uh, the homepage at canerince.com, and that should seek you out uh, every mention <coughs> of him in our past. Um, the co-writer on this is uh, one Shinji Mikami, perhaps uh, equally famous, um, going all the way back to uh, the SNES version of Disney's Aladdin, not to be confused with the Mega Drive game, which is, of course, a separate title, uh, and the Resident Evils, Dino Crisis, Onomusha, Devil May Cry, Still Battalion, Some Phoenix Wright, and uh, God Hand, Vanquish, and recently The Evil Within. Um, and we'll talk about the, the music later, but the composers are a, a regular team uh, favoured by Suda Masafumi Takada, uh, who we recently celebrated on both Sound of Play and the God, ha- God Hand podcast, and his uh, regular... Uh, contributor Jun Fukuda so this game came out first in Japan in June 2005 North America and uh, Europe only had to wait a month so this is this is exactly 10 years old it's almost like we (laughs) planned these things Uh, so Criterion uh, made the renderware engine it was uh, a popular thing around this time and uh, having um being used for things like gta as i recall as well as obviously criterion's burnout games um and for whatever reason ease of use convenience um grasshopper Manufacture decided to to build killer 7 in that um now looking at the reviews from the time uh you could think well we've talked about this before where um there are a couple of versions of a game and sometimes i think this happened with shattered memories the the wii version reviewed several points higher overall uh the average consensus than than the ps2 version and we we speculated that that may have been partly to do with uh a significantly less competition on that platform but in this case um it seems that uh, the fact that um the gamecube version averages nearly 77 percent, whereas uh ps2 version struggles to hit 70 was because a, there are a number of problems it, it, it is clearly a port hmm. and uh we i think all played the ps2 version nope
2: i played the gamecube one. oh
0: good uh, and if you revisited it you I, I believe we discussed you were talking about revisiting it on emulation
2: yeah my Gamecube controller is messed up, so I had no other choice mm. uh for replaying it for the show than to use emulation yeah and it and of course that it, that may smooth over some of the issues, yeah, could very well um I didn't run into yeah. any problems at all honestly through the emulation through dolphins uh, okay.
0: so. oh okay, oh, so you are still emulating the um the gamecube version. right yeah yeah, fair enough, okay. So, uh, the original, the the GameCube version has faster loading times. Obviously, it came on uh, two of those little discs instead of one big one. Mm. Um, the analog control, it was built around that particular analog stick on, on the GameCube controller, whereas the DualShocks famously have the dead zone. Um, the saving to the memory card, and presumably also an emulation as well, is instantaneous, uh, whereas on the PS2 you have to sit through the whole, you know... Detecting memory cards, saving to memory cards, mm-hmm. so on and so on. Um, and perhaps most relevant, well, perhaps most relevant, along with those uh, loading times, uh, the PS2 frame rate is uh, is stuttery in places. Um, it it drops pretty badly in areas. Uh, and overall, the GameCube version has ever so slightly sharper look to it as well. Um, so the PS2 version does betray the fact that it was a secondary consideration uh, and a port, of course the uh this means that not only the gamecube version i suspect was produced in uh, smaller quantities um but also uh it was reviewed better and therefore to source a gamecube copy will cost you rather more money between 25 and 55 pounds over here on ebay i checked um whereas the ps2 version you can pick up for anything from like three pounds up to 15 pounds um there are a few little changes as well, whereas the GameCube PAL version had slightly more attention paid to it, um, so there are some questions regarding dates later in the game, and they were changed to the European format uh, in the GameCube version, but not in the PAL PS2 version, uh, as I found when trying to enter dates, it actually wanted them in the uh, the American order, so uh, <laughs> month first. Um, another interesting thing about the Japanese version, and I think, I'd really, I, I think I'd really have missed this. You can still make it out, but the ghosts in the PAL version, they have these really weird, squeaky, muffled, sort of ethereal voices. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Japanese version, they are talking almost normally, but with incredibly poorly translated English. <laughs> Um, so you can actually catch some of that. If you listen carefully to their voices, you'll yeah. hear some of the words mm-hmm. in the subtitles, but they're in the wrong order and, and whatever. So uh, an example, um, the famous line uh, that uh, Iwaz- Iwazaru says um, is, uh, Master, we're in a tight spot, a real tight spot. In the Japanese version, that he, he says, The master, it is dangerous. It is serious and it is dangerous. <laughs> um, and instead of in the name of Harman, he says the waywardness is under harman's name which uh, which i quite like mm-hmm. uh there's also some censorship in the japanese ps2 version weirdly um so the scene where now i've seen this read both ways around but it looks to me like if any raping's going on it is samantha yeah who is raping harman um I mean, it's hard to tell if he's enjoying it or not, but he's basically comatose in a wheelchair uh, while she rides him, and, and is clearly gaining pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, there, in the in the NTSC version and um, the PAL version, there is uh, she's she's audibly enjoying herself, whereas in the Japanese PS2 version, uh, disco music is played over the top, <laughs> so you can't uh, quite hear that. Um, there's also a little bit of uh, odd gore censorship in one scene very strange Um, and I've also heard that uh, where there's a key scene right towards the end of the game where um garcian the character you're introduced to first is whistling green sleeves um in, in, in sort of in a flashback or there's there, there are flashback sequences and again that's missing from the the japanese version uh, there's also some slight tweaks to the controls um and apparently the original controls were a lot less forgiving about the direction you had your analog stick pointed in <laughs> in terms of we, we obviously we haven't described the control method yet to those who haven't played this game. They that even that's going to take some doing. Um but it sounds like it m- may have been quite frustrating and panicky yeah. earlier on. Anyway, so yes, uh, we've already talked a little about uh, Sean there. So, yes, you you got this at the time did you? Um originally on the on the GameCube.
2: Uh well, I don't remember exactly when I got it. It's during that time period okay. like I was talking about in the Silent Hill episodes where I just I don't remember much of games back then. Um but this was one of i do remember specifically buying this and it was uh one of two games that i bought strictly off based on the cover alone like i had i had no knowledge of this game whatsoever i just i was walking into a best buy one day and i was just there to buy something It didn't matter i just wanted to buy something it could have been a movie or a cd or whatever and i was just walking through the game section and saw uh uh fahrenheit and picked that up just because the cover looked neat and uh the same thing with killer seven um I just saw the cover, and the name struck out at me. Um, I picked up the back of the box and checked it out, and it looked—it all looked really interesting. And it was also during a time where, I don't know how often this happens over there, but over here, almost every white guy goes through, like, a everything in Japan is awesome phase. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, so it, it really spoke out to the whole, I was real into Japanese stuff and punk stuff, and it just yeah. seemed to really... Uh, it Seems to pique those kind of interests. So, um yeah, I just randomly so bought it. And surely took it home. the Capcom
0: name meant something to you, even yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that yeah. helped too. Yeah. So you took it home mm-hmm. and you started playing it, and you thought, "What? The what heck the is hell this? is this?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you persist with it all the way through and yep. in your first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you've revisited but presumably not every last drop of it recently cuz it's quite a right. long game
2: yeah yeah i i yeah. played most of it um but i still remember most of the
0: game yeah so yeah i'm sure it came flooding back <laughs> yeah totally josh how about you 10 years ago uh, you would have been pretty young for this sort of yeah caper. yeah this this
1: i'm this was my first time playing through the game but um I've had the uh, PS2 copy of Killer 7 sitting on my shelf for quite a while. Mm. Um I am familiar with um Suda 51's uh, work after this, so No More yes. Heroes and and uh and and stuff like that. Um and I've always been a bit hit and miss with him. Mm-hmm. Um, especially no more heroes. Like I, I like certain uh, aspects of those games, but then some of the politics in it are a bit troubling, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure we'll get onto that with this game. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I kind of signed up for the. Uh, Cane and Rinse podcast on this simply because I wanted some motivation to finally pick up that copy on yes. my shelf and uh, and get it finished uh, because this, this game, more than any of uh, Suda's uh, work uh, is kind of talked about in in quite high regard mm. despite the rev- you know the reviews at the time were quite middling but this is definitely a game that picked up steam after release. Um yeah, so um unfortunately I didn't know about the uh differences between the GameCube and uh, PS2 mm. uh, games at the time. So yeah, uh, my only experience with the game is the PS2 version unfortunately.
0: Yes. Um, and uh, we were talking in the virtual green room and uh, you've been watching some footage of the cube version and kind of wishing that you'd spent the extra.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like this podcast might have been slightly different on my end if I had played the GameCube version. I I, I do feel like everything I'm going to say is going to be you know, qualified with... This was my experience of the game. I understand that if you played the GameCube version, this was probably better, but uh, unfortunately I I can't say anything else.
0: We'll bear that in mind. Um, My experience is uh, that I bought this day one of release on the GameCube. I've been following it somewhat in in the pre-release. Not that I I tend to follow games super closely, never have really before they come out, but um, screenshots had really... Piqued my interest, uh, these ribbons of blood flowing from these cell-shaded characters looked really interesting I knew nothing of Suda at this point because uh, most people in the West didn't really, he'd only done worked on two or three previous games, things that hadn't come over um, to me this was a Capcom title, uh, Shinji Mikami was involved um, and it looked really fascinating um, so I bought it, took it home had a look at it, like many I'm sure, went what the heck is this <laughs> what is going on um, decided that I wanted to play it in, you know, kind of w- one sequence in a session without being interrupted. So I put it aside, Fatal Move. I never got back to it. Uh, some years later, uh, I probably traded it for some ludicrous, ludicrously small fee when I needed a few quid to get hold of some new AAA release that's been long since forgotten. Um, never picked it up again. Uh, on Cube and uh, for this playthrough my one and only full playthrough of this game that I completed yesterday finally uh, I borrowed our own Jay's copy of the PS2 version why he's got the PS2 version not the GameCube version I don't know but (laughs) hopefully he'll listen to this podcast and realise the error of his ways yeah so, let's uh do this. I've already I've already warned you fans of this game that we're going to get stuff wrong <laughs> and miss stuff out, but there it is again. I'm saying it again because I know this this game it I mean another thing about this game is uh we haven't used any uh synonyms yet, but the word Strange is going to come up probably <laughs> quite a bit and, and uh, variants thereof. So, apologies in advance for that. If you want to play a drinking game or whatever, uh, be my guest. It probably won't make the podcast uh, make any less sense. So, in this alternate view of our Earth, <laughs> in this alternate <laughs> timeline, so this game, remember, this game came out in 2005, written probably 2003 4. Uh, in 1998, world peace broke out across the planet and with a view to keeping this uh, the case and bear in mind that this was written in the wake of 9-11 things like that air travel was uh, banned basically shut down no more planes so no more terrorism until a new terrorist threat uh, the heaven smiles grinning monstrosities who are simply walking exploding people bombs right? right yep yeah yeah, okay. Uh, they present a new terrorist threat, uh, but where they come from at this point, I guess, uh, is is a bit of a mystery. So the game is set. Um, the first missions take place in two thousand and ten. Although later in the game, there is a flashback to about some years earlier. I couldn't didn't actually work out what year that yeah, was. I um, think it's supposed to
2: be um, fifty years earlier. It doesn't look that old, but I think it's supposed to be either no. fifty or thirty.
0: That's right, because his <laughs> birthday's crazy. Even though yeah. the main character doesn't look that old, he looks like a you know, I don't know, thirty-something yeah. dude. Um, so the game, the game, the core of the game that you play is set between two thousand and ten and two thousand and fourteen. But then there's a pro uh, an epilogue that is set three years later. So I assume that's two thousand and seventeen, or is that two thousand and fourteen? But then there's another epilogue after that which uh, suggests that the same cycle continues every 100 years. So you could say that the game actually finishes in something like the year 2114, or possibly 2117. So you play as, well, you think you play as, remember that spoiler warning earlier, you play as a character called Garcian Smith, uh, who is kind of, well, he's not, he's not head as such, but he's sort of figurehead mm-hmm. of a gang of assassins as far as you know at this point who are all called smith um and this this is some sort of um uh, clever uh, pun on the idea that a smith as in a blacksmith is somebody who is uh, you know who hits stuff to make it and these are the smiths the hitmen yeah, totally. there are also <laughs> some smiths the band the manchester 80s morrissey band in there how soon is now and meet his murderer referenced um And so we have uh, different Smiths of different ages and different skills. Um, And each one, uh, I've learned this through research, uh, apparently represents uh, a traditional Japanese value. Um, So Keida Smith, whose name is always written in capitals, unlike any of the others uh she she constantly wears a blood stain which signifies betrayal uh similar to one of the enemy types the camellia smiles uh so she represents loyalty and she is also able to sacrifice herself for her teammates um she uh sort of cuts open an <laughs> artery to spray acidic blood on barriers for instance uh dan smith who's one of the main uh characters uh, i mean i suppose it depends how you play but you're kind of forced into playing certain characters more than others but you can certainly end up with favorites and i think dan if you power dan up he becomes pretty super powerful uh, yeah, yeah a pretty good There's character also like the first one to that to. you morph into uh in the first yeah, story that's yeah. That's another. You know, th- this podcast is going to be a lot of saying things where you go, <laughs> yeah. "Oh yeah," and that's the thing that happens. If you stand in front of a, in front of a security camera, you change personality, right? Like you do. Yeah, you do. Dan Smith, <laughs> who kills for fun, represents honor, which is why the handsome men. Uh, who are a sort of power rangers um analog, they call him a bloody psychopath uh, rather than killing uh, one of the later enemies, Curtis Blackburn, straight away. he agrees to a duel with him. uh Con Smith is a uh, blind teenage punk yep yeah, yeah. Uh, he he represents respect and he actually has admiration for the aforementioned handsome men then there 's Mask Smith, uh, who has the power of a hero but still works as an assassin? He represents benevolence, uh, and he, uh, one of the characters, repre- uh, refers to him as a hero to children. Then there's Coyote, who is uh, Hispanic. Uh, he's a thief who represents honesty. Coyote uh, reveals some of his past to Garcia in one of the uh, in in one of the things. But as with all the characters, we ultimately learn. Well, we sort of ultimately learn what happened to them. And finally there's Kevin Smith, who is a silent character. There's a sort of joke there. Uh he can run away from battles, but represents courage. You see, there's there's his irony. Um and he uses sort of uh throwing knives. Yeah. Uh there are many other supporting characters. We can't possibly go through them all, but probably the one that you speak to the most times uh, is Iwazaru, who is a he's a ghost who dangles from the ceiling all around the various levels you visit. He's wearing uh, a bondage uh, gimp suit, and he always has his uh, finger in front of his mouth because he represents uh, the uh, the third. Um, or, or, well, one-third of the three wise monkeys, uh, Iwazuru, who speaks no evil. Um, Another thing that I absolutely loved about this game, Mm -hmm. I say another thing... (laughs) Uh, there's lots of things I don't like about this game. One (laughs) thing I absolutely loved about this game was the names of some of the supporting characters. Uh, I was really struggling with the slog of this game, especially on the PS2 version towards the end. And then it introduced, with a couple of levels to go, a character called Gary Wanderers. And and, and I was immediately won over again. And then right right near the end, there's a character called... Greg Nightmare, Nightmare yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, spectacular. So um, let's get into it. The presentation of this game is is something to comment upon, even in itself. So between everything you do, right, there are multiple different screens of stuff, splash screens. So in between the levels, you'll be going from one location to another, but there's like a top-down pixelated map of the USA and little cameo sort of drawings of the places you're going to uh it plays a little bit of music it kind of shows you moving around the map in some way um there'll be a screen just before you load into a level where you shoot at the silhouette of your ultimate target in this level this serves no real purpose nope. <laughs> before every level there's a shot of a moon a really big moon that fills the entire screen this is non-widescreen this game in from 2005 it's uh, four to three only i think unless they were unless i forgot to check the options um the moon starts off as this kind of glowing purple thing i can't quite remember um and goes through various stages of of bizarreness before as the end as you come towards the end of the game the moon which sort of sits there pulsing and humming in the screen for no apparent reason uh, becomes looks like a normal moon so i think from for me the game kind of puts you off whack from the minute you start totally. really interacting with it in any yeah. way
2: yeah like you said the level select screen makes no sense you're shooting this silhouette thing but even that like every other game i'd played uh at least before this you have a level select screen you just chapter select you pick the one you want it puts you in there and this one you shoot the little silhouette it turns into a big mess of blood and then uh some japanese uh, characters appear on the screen yeah and then yeah the moon thing and it's just totally makes absolutely no sense but it's completely different than anything i had seen uh previous to that and you know i love that kind of thing but i i recognize that most people probably will just think it's strange I think I I would have loved it if
1: at some point it did make sense. Like I I, I, I mean I don't I don't mind that kind of obtuse um kind of style at the sure, beginning yeah. of a story or at the beginning of a film as long as you know they provide context later on. The pro- I think a problem with this game and and I think it's a problem throughout the game is it feels like. The ideas have been thrown in here without any consideration for theming or kind of having it feed into any kind of narrative. It's just, that would be cool. Let's do that. And, um, that, the, the moon, especially like that moon during loading the loading screens. It, it it was pointless like I was I kept expecting something to happen with the moon like there must be some kind of narrative relevance of this moon constantly being up but it never ever ends up being important yeah. and it just it's just kind of annoying
0: I think the point my my interpretation is as, as well as let's refer back to the quote from earlier about how Suda considers his creative process the same as doing a poo yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the point of a lot of this stuff is purely to kind of make you feel weird and different. Yeah. It is absolutely like an art installation in the sense, or like one of those experiential art situations where you go and stand in a room that's lit in a certain way or certain sounds are playing and it puts it puts you in a certain mood and creates a certain mood and part of the experience is discussing with the other people in, who have been through the art installation you know what, mm. what they got from it how they felt from it now whether this is something that everyone wants in a game clearly not right, um, some people are, you know I've read all sorts of responses to this game on the internet as we find with all sorts of games that we cover on Caner rinse that's one of the wonderful things about it is Every AAA, you know, every ninety-five percent game has got people who hate it. Every thirty-five percent rated game has got people who love it, and so on. Mm-hmm. But th- you know, this game really—it's very—you—you you will very quickly, even on one forum thread, find people who just thought it was an absolute pile of unmitigated rubbish, <laughs> from in every sense, from the way it plays to to the t- you know technical considerations to point you know points like the one we're talking about. But then you get other people who are, are kind of. Um, constantly intrigued and i think i'm not saying whether it works for me or not um but again like you've already said sean it puts you in a it feels and puts you in a mood quite unlike anything else and i think maybe that is the point there doesn't there is no payoff the payoff is the mood yeah
2: that's what i think about basically the whole game not to summarize i'm not trying to summarize but like it's just it constantly changes and, and does stuff like that that may not make mm. any sense at all. Like from the beginning to end, it's always doing something different, except for maybe the gameplay. And I think that is what kind of wins me over here is that it's the style of everything. And it's immediately from the gameplay design, from just the opening screens, you know, it's just all so different. And yeah, as you said, it, 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 that's either going to win you over or not, you know, it's very subjective kind of design
0: yeah and and the graphics and sound all play into this so you 've got these super stylized cell shaded style i don 't know if yeah. they technically are cell shaded because I know there's a very specific um technique or or look to that, but that's how people would describe them um, for lack of anything else super high contrast lots of um, very black blacks and very bright brights mm-hmm. um, next to one another it's got a kind of comic book feel, but with hints that obviously it's set in America or most of it is um, but hints of anime as well yeah. um, hints of hints of western comic books yeah. um it, it it really is uh, a mishmash and i think another thing that that sets you off straight away feeling kind of disoriented and and discombobulated is the use of audio throughout yeah. um not just the music which you know they do use certain uh things sort of crashing juxtapositions of of you know silly music with horrific scene and vice versa and and all that sort of stuff but also just the sound the sound the you know from i mean the cackling of the smiles you will yeah. hear forever in your head <laughs> yeah um and it and it's creepy but it's also silly um silly yeah yeah
1: I think it strikes a good balance, though. The sound design is one of the areas I think Killer7 excels, actually, because all of them are kind of unique to this game to me a lot of them it it, it, it didn't feel like i was hearing audio from you know a library yeah. or something like that all of these sounds are memorable and even though they are silly um sometimes I, I it always felt silly with purpose rather than accidentally silly like say um like the farting noise in in silent hill 4 or something mm. like that <laughs> yeah but um yeah, the the laugh of these these smiles is actually quite terrifying. Yeah, especially just because. The way the the game works, where you have to scan mm. for them and they're invisible, having that mm. laugh in the background and going, "Oh God, where where are they? Where 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 they where?" They? And sometimes, you know, later on in the game, they're not right in front of you. Sometimes they're behind yeah. you. So that that laugh ends up being quite chilling uh, be- uh, f- uh, from a gameplay perspective because it, it signifies uh, so much threat and danger uh, right behind you or right in front of you.
2: Yeah, I also quite like the laugh that happens after every level when it's counting up all the smiles that you killed it's almost kind of laughing <laughs> it's at you half-hearted yeah, it's almost kind of yeah, like yeah. making fun of you like oh that's all you <laughs> killed
0: oh that's <laughs> like that kind of <laughs> I did actually wonder if there was a way of um, if, if that actually because it, it does tally up the number of heaven smiles you've killed I wondered if maybe if you were really really good at the game um but then actually it it doesn't really work like that because the only way you can rack up more kills is by deliberately respawning them by yeah. by leaving rooms and and going back in and, and right, yeah. this game does have a bit of grinding we'll, we'll get onto that but um if you want it to but actually it's not a game where yeah i mean the the bits that allow you to rack up the kills are not the challenging bits in a way so so yeah i think it is probably just there again just another thing to unsettle you with to to make you feel like the game is kind of laughing at you and again i think that's something that a lot of people would not appreciate um but i like i think yeah we're going to talk about the gameplay which is i think where a lot more of the criticism probably is going to come in from us um but the overall the mood and the tone is is striking and memorable i think um but yes on to i mean on to that uh that gameplay, it's it's such a weird mishmash of stuff. So yeah. you've got you've got elements of a of a generic standard third person combat game. You've got huge elements of survival horror, but then you've also got some weird hybrid between an on rails Virtua Cop style shooter and a GoldenEye style first person shooter. Um, you've got definitely got um survival horror style puzzles and uh or, or general arcade adventure style puzzles um but the p- perhaps the weirdest most restrictive and and i think probably the signature thing about the way this game feels to play is the fact that you move on rails yeah and you don't have freedom of movement um, in the same way that you do in, say, No More Heroes, where they, you know, he got rid of that. Um, and I still, to this minute, having played the game up to and slightly beyond the very end yesterday, I still don't know how I feel about this. I found it incredibly claustrophobic. Mm. Um, and, again, unsettling and discombobulating. But I was I'm trying so hard to imagine what the game would have been like if it had given you full movement um and i think it would have lost something as well so yeah how do you feel
2: Uh, i think i like it because it's it makes the gameplay feel kinetic and fast because especially if you're playing with Khan or kevin who seem to be the faster ones and especially Mm. if you turn on Khan's um special ability where he runs super fast um just makes everything feel faster and, and a little more fluid i think if i was able to run around areas that would slow things down really especially also because each room
0: yeah i well, got lost so much I think though. that's what I slowed know. me down getting even with the compass directions actually on the bits of the map i would sometimes mm-hmm. you know when mm-hmm. you flip to the map with the with with the button and um on the normal mode uh it's it's incredibly generous about where it shows you Everything is in terms of what you need to almost what you need to do, but it doesn't show you where the character is. So, I was I would often find myself lost. I, I am rubbish at maps, yeah. So, that right. well, problem.
2: yeah, that map's not too helpful either. It, 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 it gives you the area that you're in, it lights that up a yes. c- certain yeah, color, yeah. but yeah. but that still isn't. That helpful, but yeah, it's not the Some best. Some areas
0: map. are easier than others in in that respect. But I found as the game went on, there are a lot of sections where you so on the GameCube original, and this is what it was designed for. You were, you were to hold down that famous big fat green A button to move, yep. <laughs> and then you tilt the analog stick in the direction you're going, and you kind of move fairly seamlessly between places. And I suspect this is why your experience is is slightly better, whereas on the PS2 version. it made less sense to me to hold down the cross button to move forward so i was using the d-pad d-pad up to go forward and then that meant either having moving my right thumb over to the left analog stick or letting go of the d-pad then manually choosing which direction to go and then pressing the cross button to go through it which was not always responsive so that kind of slowed things down a bit so may i you know you're playing it wrong is ringing in my ears um But it was the way that it made me want to play, (laughs) and I wished I had the GameCube version back again.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it gives you that option, I assume, for that very reason. You know, it just made more sense to you at the time.
1: I I mean, I think for me, I appreciated that I never felt like I had missed anything when I was going Mm. through environments. Because it clearly telegraphed, here's what you can and cannot do. These are the items you can and cannot interact with. There wasn't any points where I was thinking, well, how do I get past this door? I just went back, okay, let's just see if there's something I've missed. Oh, I've missed something here. Okay, I'll interact with that, and that's fine. Um, So often in this style of game, um, survival horror... Uh, games I'll get frustrated at puzzle sections because I just have no idea what I'm meant to be doing and in this game there's (laughs) no confusion whatsoever I think it it becomes problematic at certain points that it's so telegraphed that the puzzles are just non-obstacles they're just busy work um but because other aspects of the game were a bit more stressful, I yeah. I appreciated that um, at least navigating the environment went fairly smoothly for me.
0: Huh. So it's interesting, yeah. It seemed to be I think I think it was my single biggest problem with the game uh, was just getting round. And as I say, in places not a problem, especially some of the more linear levels. It was uh, it was it was nice, and I do I did enjoy that smooth feeling of kind of gliding on rails round corners and stuff. But as I say, some of the later levels would, you know, you you're given the choice like east or west on a path, fine, and and mm-hmm. it, cor- it yeah. correlates to the map perfectly. But then your forward path will take you round a couple of S bends, and you, you you get all yeah. turned around, and yeah, I think I think, especially that suburb area, yeah. I imagine was pretty yeah. tough, yeah. Um, but, yes, I I was absolutely desperate to play something that allowed me to move around properly, though. Like, for the whole... I played this game over about a week and a half or something, and I'd read that it was uh, 13 to 15 hours. And I think, partly because of the PS2 version, partly because of my map confusion... Um, partly because of my meticulous nature, I think it must have. I, there's no game clock, but I think it must have taken me between 20 and 25 hours. Oh, and wow. the next game I'm playing for, you know, as well as having various things on the go, like like Bloodborne and. Um, Uh, and uh, Wolfenstein the Old Blood the next game I'm playing for Kane and Rince is Halo 2 completely different sort of game but it was just I had to boot it up as soon as I'd finished Killer 7 last night because it was like (laughs) I can move again I can actually run around and hide behind (laughs) things and um, you know enemies are shooting at me and I can flank them and and all this sort of stuff it It was just (laughs) such a relief but again there's a little part of me which thinks it's kind of that's kind of the point of killer seven and it was frustrating and limiting and yeah, claustrophobic is the word I describe it best, but this game is creepy and weird and limiting and claustrophobic. So it kind of fits. So I'm conflicted.
2: Yeah. I I know. I know also part of the design ethos uh, for, for Suda and and the other guys were, was they were thinking of it. I know this is blasphemy to a lot of people, but they were thinking of it more as a movie than Mm -hmm. a game or story as a mm. game, so they kind of wanted you, to, they wanted to funnel you through sections to where you get caught up with the story, even though, really, these chapters have, like, just story at the beginning, a story at the end, and maybe, like, a little blip in the middle. Yeah. Um, but it's it's felt like they wanted to funnel you through it. Yeah,
0: and it is actually, uh, I think, I found, um, the difficulty on the default setting is not hugely difficult. Um, it's It's quite easy to rack up quite a lot of health, um you can it, you know your penalty for dying is uh is not great you simply have to get back to where you died there's some more things i want to say about that in a minute but um and then you carry on from the last room you're in the save rooms are fairly frequent uh respawn rooms are even more frequent and there's a couple of tricksy boss fights the boss fights vary wildly in in what they ask you to do but um but overall i i, I didn't feel like i was going to get stuck at any point uh there was one sticking point, actually. It only took me a handful of goes, and I I found a video of somebody online who... I don't know why you would upload this, but it's them failing at killing the first laser smile about 25 times. Um, <laughs> and then, actually... I realised that you could just use... If you've upgraded your characters enough, you get an auto-lock-on and stuff, so you you can just do it simply with that. But trying to run into the room and then manually target this one-hit killer and then aim aim at his head, and in the PS2 version, the frame rate is is jerky, and you've got the dead dead zone on the analogue stick, and it all becomes a bit uh, unpleasant. But that was really... I, I can't remember. I think it only took me like three, three or four attempts, maybe. But um, <laughs> that was the only the only bit that actually did. Why are you chuckling, Josh?
1: Because uh, it took me like ten times to okay. do <laughs> <big. laughs> Okay. I eventually it figured. I, I eventually figured out that if you you can lock on to his head and and then it's easy. But like I was trying to manually aim every single time, and just yeah. because the uh, you know the nature of the way the PS2 version of this ge- game controls, it's mm-hmm. really difficult to line up a precise shot from that distance it is and um yeah Yeah. i just and i i think i would have been less frustrated if um this game handled death slightly differently Mm -hmm. um i mean i don't i i feel like i'm skipping ahead here but um um, just because every time you die you have to uh, select Garcian to go and collect that person's head, and then you go all the way back to the last Harmon Room and then go through that route again. So you have to go through that route twice before you can progress. Through several
0: loading screens sometimes.
1: Yeah, and... I can imagine, like, on the GameCube version, where the loading screens are not that big an issue and and what have you, that might have been less stressful. But at some points, I just pressed the restart button on my PS2. Uh, oh, just gosh. because mm, I wow. would rather go from the last save than to yeah, go through yeah. the hassle of uh, <laughs> Garcia picking up the head and then going back and then going through the route again and as you know especially with this guy who was one hit kill like it was so frustrating to go through that kind of process over and over
0: again yeah yeah um and the yeah, the I mean the the combat experience is obviously a key part about it. It's called Killer 7. It's got a whole first person thing. As you say you, you you go into first person, you bring a sight, a cursor up on screen. Yeah. Then you have to press a, a scan button. It doesn't take as long as uh, Samus in in Metroid Prime, but it takes just a a second to wash over the screen. You have to be looking at these smiles who are Um, initially uh, sort of translucent you have to bring them into being um, and this will show you depending on the characters abilities and their distance you might see their weak points as well and um, this is kind of where a large chunk of the the video game element comes in you are looking to kill them in uh, ways which will produce the most blood yeah so uh, it's one thing to just wheel out Masked smith who has twin rocket launchers and and or, or hand cannons of some kind and later in the game you can upgrade mask and and he can finish off with a rapid firing never reloading death wielding <laughs> twin hand cannons but it's no good because it doesn't produce any blood it sets things on fire it knocks them back it slows them down whatever else but you need blood to uh for upgrades and health there's different kinds of blood and this is where uh I said to Josh on on Twitter the other day, it can't have escaped his attention. I'm sure this yeah. is true for you as well, Sean. That. This is weird. A ten-year-old game has all these huge uh, chunks that we've just seen in Bloodborne. Yeah. <laughs> now the game couldn't play in terms of um, you know f- directness of control. It couldn't be further removed from something <laughs> produced by Miyazaki and From Software, which is all about that incredibly precise, um, pixel-perfect, uh, responsive movement um, and you know animation cycles, all that sort of thing. But in this, you collect. Blood vials, which are your health and also your upgrade system, and when you die, you have to walk back to where you died to revive yourself. <laughs> and it's then a start Souls back all game, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so weird. Yeah, uh, I wonder if that was any sort of influence on Miyazaki, or whether it's pure. I, I,
1: uh, I wouldn't be. Sense. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, there's more than uh, a couple of influences in Bloodborne. There's a bit mm. of Metal Gear Solid Three and Resident Evil Four mm-hmm. in there, so yeah. I wouldn't Absolutely. be surprised if uh, uh, yeah. Killer Seven was an influence too.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, who did? we enjoy uh using um more than others um uh, sean you played the Mm -hmm. the smoother you had the smoother experience all around with the combat so do do you think does it sound like you had a better time with it and and did you did you therefore you actively look forward to uh you know um ganging up on on these uh creepy smile heaven smile creatures
2: yeah i I, again like i was saying earlier about the how different the game is just because like the 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 combat in this is so different from anything else that I've played that I really Mm. enjoyed that aspect of it and I I liked how fast everything was and how responsive everything was especially you know again this might be a GameCube thing but just like picking up the the gun aiming super fast clicking really fast for the scan you know the auto detect everything all that stuff was like just really responsive and if you're using Khan with his super fast guns it just it was fun to me. Um yeah. And just yes, I still haven't seen anything like it since or, or before and it's just I I really enjoyed the combat actually.
0: Yeah, and the game is very much it's you know, it is that it, it it's funny how this really uh, this multiple faceted game with all these complicated story elements that we will be coming back to when we talk about the endings um actually boils down to a shooting gallery game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and like most of the enemies you're talking about it being fast and responsive and certainly that i, I suspect that isn't the words josh would use to describe <laughs> his experience with the ps2 version but actually a lot of the enemies are slow like so there's a few yeah. there's a few ones that are quick there's there's the little flying ones and apologies for forgetting all the names killer seven fans um there's the big ones with the cockpits on their heads that swoop from side to side but actually a lot of them like i think one of my favorites were the ones that trundle along the spheres yeah and they just <laughs> yeah, they make yeah. a jingly noise yeah. like, a, like a creepy clown toy or something <laughs> and yeah. and it's i mean it, it's it's hard to describe their faces the heaven smiles faces but they've got these it, it's one of those things where if you just describe them it'll just sound like any other generic monster yeah. but there's something yeah. about the way they're put together the way the the, the crookedness of their smiles and the blankness of their expressions and the noises they make that i found them genuinely creepy yeah so i enjoyed every time i blew one away by catching its weak spot especially if it was from a distance or you know whatever and you get so you get these sound bites from the from the killer seven um yeah even despite i had some technical issues too um with the ps2 version i i did have some fun with it when it wasn't being horribly jerky Yeah,
1: I mean I I have to say I'm sorry I kind of led with a negative example with the laser smile but like overall 75% of the time I did actually enjoy the combat Um, I think for me it really depended on the type of heaven smile that I was fighting Yes. so um, the regular heaven smiles they're fine easy to deal with Um, so the rolling ones that you mentioned the ball ones they're really fun to take out I really like the uh, ones that wear Mithril armor uh, yeah. because that's a test of accuracy and 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 all of those those types of enemies I found really fun. The ones that have planes on their backs and fly <laughs> towards you in a curving arc—they're yeah. incredibly frustrating to fight. Yeah um i was trying to think of some other examples of stuff that i found for us the ones that just roll not the ball ones but the ones, ones that yeah. are regular humanoid shape but roll towards you they're frustrating but yeah. like overall um i i did find it fun dan, dan was kind of the character of choice for me um just because of how powerful he was uh and you know him Unlike, uh, you know, the mask who cannot get any blood, he was powerful and could farm resources really effectively. Um, and, and the encounters you have with the the kind of egg-laying Heaven Smiles. Um, um, Regenerators. No, yeah, I, I, I found those really fun to take out with, Dan. Um, it's just... Whenever it asks you to take out things from a distance, from really yeah. far away, or, or there's a boss battle in particular with um, uh, two guys with their their <laughs> skulls opened up, and the oh, yeah. game requires you to go through this series that, of motions, oh, well, uh, yeah, that to, was quite frustrating um, actually. Yeah, uh, take them out and the the time period you have to actually do any kind of yeah, effective damage yeah. to these guys is so minuscule. Now I can imagine, you know, if I was playing the GameCube version <laughs> and the uh, controls were yeah. slightly more precise and I had a, a bit more control over that reticule, that would have been less frustrating but because it was so hard to line up shots from that Kind of distance yeah, with the absolutely. PS2 controller, it, it it drove me a little bit mad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like by and large, I I I did enjoy the the combat. I just I think there were certain enemies that needed to be cut out of the game, and certain styles of enemy that could have been focused on more and would have made the game more uh, appealing overall.
0: Yeah, I mean it's something we've already said it a lot, um, but I think it is worth sort of stressing that the. When it comes to the combat, which is you know which is a huge part of this game, shooting heaven smiles, two little technical f- aspects, so the fact that the you know it was built for the gamecube, so it 's got and the and the gamecube's analog stick was just you know it was just just so just so spot on whereas you know famously I'm, I'm, i am I like the dual shot controller but famously. The analog sticks have a dead zone and that is a killer um no pun intended for this combine that with the uh at times uh visible frame rate issues and those two things together are so they they absolutely do i i would say kind of Objectively damage the game that Suda was trying to make you play. Now, I think it's something also that a lot of people would probably neither you know either not care about or not particularly notice, or you know just get the PS2 version because it's three quid compared to twenty five quid. But I think for (laughs) for for somebody who's really trying to get the best possible experience out of this, I I can't. Yeah, having played a a little bit of the GameCube version, um, but a lot of the PS2 version and and done some research I, I don't think you can probably overemphasize to to a gaming connoisseur as, as as the listeners of our show uh tend to be that that it would absolutely be worth seeking out the um the nintendo release because it, yeah it's a real shame as i say i don't i wouldn't say that it's completely ruinous but it but it damages the experience
2: well yeah i mean it's such a big part of the game as you're saying it's
0: yeah to see those kind of things happen
2: over and over again like i'm Uh, Now I'm, like, super glad that I played the GameCube version because, man, that's brutal.
0: I think, um, despite, as I say, my reservations about being on Rails and and the technical issues I've just talked about, um, I did find one thing I found interesting about the game that kept my interest, even when it was becoming a bit of a slog, was the the fact that the game kept introducing new enemies. We talked recently about... uh, Uh, Later, silent hill games downpour and homecoming and things like that and there and especially shattered memories uh which obviously it's a non-combat game so it's kind of okay but games with very very few enemy types um in a in a i mean those games are actually shorter and so they can get away with it to an extent but in a game this long 13 to 20 something hours depending on how you play it uh it would have been pretty dull, I think, just to fight the bog-standard Heaven Smiles over and over again. And in fact, again, one of the, the most gamey game parts of the game is, um, is later in uh, the levels, you will be thrown different challenges. Um, so it will be one type of smile coming around the corner, followed by another, followed by another down the next corridor. And you have to switch between the characters which you can do at will and by the way one of the (laughs) criticisms I was going to level at the game early on was how what a pain it was that you had to go to the Harmon room every time you wanted to switch character Uh, and then I realised about Hmm. three levels in that you can just go into the start menu and, and do that yep <laughs> I don't remember it told me that at any point but I don't it probably it does, did yeah no okay well,
2: the, the only stipulation there is that if each level starts off with three three of them definitely woken up Yes, them not, yeah. And you always you can't wake them up just from the start menu. You have to go to the Harmon room and wake them up there. And that That's also right. depends on how many enemies you've killed by the time you got to that room. So
0: yes. So you sometimes have to go out twice and either either grind a bit or, yeah. or um, just mm. carry on the level until until you can wake everybody up. Um, there there were sort of I did while I was playing I could think that there were logical reasons for doing it that way, but I'm struggling to think what they are in in retrospect. Um, there definitely were some. Um but that whole uh you know seeing a new enemy type and knowing that the character you had was not the right person for it like there's these ones with these uh sort of metal wing flaps out the side and you have to shoot them in alternate uh flanks to get them to spin and show their weak point and so uh, you can also just flame them to death with mask uh but so, some of the uh some of the um weapons are just no good for that whatsoever um it's also worth mentioning that Kevin's knives will get you more blood than any other weapon in the game. So although he's not the most skilled by default, although you can build up all of the characters in, in areas by using the, um, the thick blood transfusing machine or whatever it is in the, in the television. Uh, cause obviously they all, uh, all your interaction in levels happens, uh, in a television in the Harmon rooms. um, he he is the one to play as like you should it, it it's it's a risk reward thing it's trying to steer you into you know you tend to want to use dan or, or coyote because they they feel like they're the toughest also everyone's got a different size energy bar we haven't mentioned that so some some are, are quick and weak like con um and kader has the advantage of a scoped gun um which is uh at least somewhat helpful for the ranged uh enemies that josh was mentioning but of course she doesn't have she doesn't have the best she can't take the, uh, the the greatest amount of hits um one of the rings you collect most of these are for solving puzzles uh these are delivered by uh, a character known as susie sumner who is a disembodied head uh a bit like uh, murray in uh, the Se- uh, curse of monkey island i suppose um but much much creepier um, she, she tends to start off being very sweet and cute and then as her speech goes on it becomes more and more macabre and vicious um, but she tends to drop she tends to have a ring uh, that she drops out of her mouth now some of these are standard puzzle solving items like uh, fire and wind and, and whatever else but uh, but one of the ones you pick up at some point and I think you can miss it is the stamina ring mm. um, it's in the uh, it's when you you move the truck Right. Yeah. Uh, By the petrol, uh, the gas station. Yeah, she's in the gas pump. (laughs) Yeah, she's in the gas pump, and she gives you this stamina ring. And again, it doesn't really explain. I don't think anywhere in the game. What it does? Yeah. I mean, the clue is in the name. But from that point on, every time you solve a puzzle with a ring, you go back into the menu and change back to the stamina ring because it it gives you a lot more life. Yeah. Uh, uh, Josh, I, I assume you found and worked this out nope
1: <laughs> i never found <filmed> the stamina <laughs> ring uh, it's so
0: we've had this so many times on on cane and rinse where somebody's had a much harder more testy experience with a game because they missed one optional or you know really important item and i was just it suddenly crossed my mind as i was talking about the stamina ring i wonder if josh even picked it up much less <laughs> used it
1: <laughs> i mean honestly I, because um dan i i got pretty good at farming blood from uh, enemies mm. with dan uh, i i tended to have plenty of health vials, so yes. losing losing some health wasn't all, uh, such a big deal uh, yeah. but i yeah there were some points where that could have been quite
0: useful but oh well <laughs> it's <laughs> quite powerful it's it, i think it would re- it seems to reduce damage by up up to like two thirds or something it's pretty uh wow it's pretty substantial um that said, there are still sequences where yeah if you if you end up with the wrong smith in tow and you go around the wrong corner and you react too slowly, you can get piled on by like three poison smiles or whatever and uh which keep bouncing back up if you don't um take bits off them don't hit them in their weak spot or whatever um yeah and you can get ended pretty fast and sometimes a death is 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 very little penalty um so for for all josh said that's absolutely true sometimes it's a right pain with several loading screens other times you just step out the room and you know you just you're, you're back so yeah um yeah so we didn't quite talk about the dismemberment aspect as well you got got there ahead of uh, dead space by by 3 years <laughs> it's not it's not quite the same but uh no to get the most out of your enemies uh in terms of resources blood uh you want to where you can it's not possible with everyone um pick off their bits so um shoot shooting you can actually you know have them so that they end up crawling on the ground towards you like a like a kind of resident evil sort of nasty situation um and again you know when isn't it fun in a video game to shoot extremities off something <laughs> yeah, yeah. never that's when <laughs> if i saw yeah. the
2: weak spots though i almost always went for those first just i don't yeah. know why it just it was like a, a impulse to just go for the weak spots as fast as i could but like the the ones that run at you specifically always went for the yeah. legs first Yeah. even though when they get on the ground they don't move as slow as like the dead space uh, monsters they still move at a decent rate but definitely get the advantage
0: once a, once again i can 't remember its official title and and it 's a one off um, There is one enemy in this game which clearly inspired Shinji Mikami to make the regenerate in Resident evil four it It appears at the end of a corridor as the new smiles tend to do, and it has various uh, lumps on it yeah um, it 's got multiple targets that you have to you have to shoot off, and then when you get it down to one. Uh, it charges at you. It's not quite the same as a regenerator, but it. But I felt that like that sort of act of um, zooming in on you know visible weak points and picking it off as it slowly lumbered towards you really reminded me. And you know Shinji Mikami's a link, so sure, totally, yeah. So why not? Let's talk about Samantha Smith. I didn't even know she was a Smith until later in the game. She was just Samantha. Yeah, I thought um, it was Libson or something. Maybe I've got Maybe. that wrong then. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Uh I'm sure I've seen her referred to as Samantha yeah, Smith somewhere, but sure. that doesn't mean it's right, um because I've seen a I've seen a few other mistakes. So my apologies if that's incorrect. It doesn't make sense that she is a Smith. And, right, and in yeah. fact it makes things particularly messed up. Uh so let's hope she isn't. So sometimes you go into a into a Harmon room, uh of which there are many and and there are lots of video game classic video game conveniences in killer seven there's no attempt (laughs) at any sort of logical realism (laughs) in in many aspects of this game uh but sometimes you go into a Harmon room and the light is on or off i forget which way around it is if the light's Uh, off yeah if it's off then it's a save room she's a she's dressed in a, right, in a maid, in a maid outfit, outfit which is yeah. not overtly sexualized i would not no, just i would say her other know. outfits more sexualized than <laughs> yeah yeah um and then but the other yeah the other time you go into a room and the lights on it's not a safe room and she is off duty but when you see her in these uh, off duty uh, scenes outside of the levels um she's really messed up
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
0: she, so she, she pushes old Harmon around, um, in in his wheelchair. Who is is the kind of he's the master of the Killer Seven, um, but she basically hits him, rapes him, yep. abuses him. What is all yeah. this about? Is th- is this is this <sighs> is this uh, Suda's usual um, unpleasant portrayal <laughs> of women, or is I, there I some mean, very I, good I, reason for this?
1: I, I mean, I I. I... We've kind of talked about this every time we've had a pseudo game on Kane and Rince, <laughs> but this game kind of convinced me that he hates women. Like, the right. de- the depiction of women in this game is kind of disgusting. Um, like, Samantha is a monster, and then there's a scene where a guy says, I'll tell you the secret. Uh, hitting on women and then as he dies he says oh by the way all women are the same right yeah, yeah. and it's just stuff like that and then there's just a vote uh you know avert sexualization of like almost every kind of like the handsome uh the handsome men all the female ones of jiggling breast and and stuff like that and it's just i've gotten to the point now where i i can no longer kind of like give Suda a pass anymore because it's so his kind of, I feel misogyny is really overt Um, and I'd be curious to go back and play No More Heroes and and some of his later titles and and see if I feel that uh, that stuff is even worse now in Mm. in retrospect but like I just yeah, I, I, I felt really uncomfortable during a lot of these sequences
0: there was uh there's a character who turns up quite late in the game a female character who uh ostensibly seems quite cool she's tough she's um forthright she's a, she's another killer from another um well she's been hired by somebody else basically but then she's got, she's uh, she's just wearing a coat or something that's um split up to her crotch right, yeah. and um and it's like she's just got like a a, a slim bit of belt holding the, the front together with most of her breasts showing off and you just think yeah and uh, you know this was this was 10 years ago when things like this it's like saying well it was all right in the mm-hmm. 70s it was okay in 2005 <laughs> well it wasn't but we had we hadn't really started having these discussions in the same way yeah, I think yeah um, it was you know probably the beginning of, of these uh, you know very important and worthwhile discussions uh, well that's how we feel about it anyway um, I have a really uh, quite um, I'm really quite convinced about what I think about Goichi Suda. Um, what I think is something I can't really say, um, because it's sort of thing that somebody might say is, is libelous. And we have quite a lot of listeners now. But to put it euphemistically, as I can, I think he's somebody who isn't entirely convinced of his own... Um, proclivities so i think that he has a resentment for females because he doesn't find them as alluring as he wants to
1: i see i I see what you're saying but i'm doesn't make it right yeah yeah i i I think i'm i'm i think that's giving him cutting him some slack i i think (laughs) what i'm seeing is like I, I, what I am seeing is outright true. misogyny. Yeah. Like, sure, yeah. it,
0: it's pure. It's pure supposition on my part. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I've I've never, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know the guy. I've never spoken to the guy, but I have seen this in other people that I've known, and, um, yeah, I don't know what else I can say really, but but that that's my theory. Um, but that's not to say that it makes it makes certain things okay. You guys you guys have me worried now because uh, I don't know. I don't... Like, I
2: can see totally what you guys are saying and especially... It's definitely not um, a good thing <laughs> the way he portrays women <laughs> in his game. But for some reason, yeah. especially in Killer7, I don't know. It just didn't bother me. It it didn't affect me or, or I didn't get that impression um, from Samantha. I just thought she was weird and different um i see it totally in yeah. his later games you know especially as it goes on you know with lollipop and uh and uh, shadows but um for for some reason in this one it just didn't really uh it didn't offend me i guess
0: i'm actually with you to a point um despite what i just said because um i definitely found it more troubling in the more recent games of his i've played um and i think that's because even though they do share sort of uh similarities of aesthetic and mood and tone and things this is the game that feels most like a a ridiculous i don't know i don't know if comic books right i suppose it and again this is somebody who doesn't uh necessarily deserve some of the slack he gets cut but it has that tarantino-esque thing where for some reason he thinks he's yeah. obsessed with mm-hmm. using the n-word in his films and sometimes you think, "Is that right? Is that okay um, but uh high profile African American actors keep working with him over and over again, so you right. think, "Oh, he yep. must be all right then he must you know <laughs> um, and it 's not quite the same as that, although we should say this game actually has a uh, has a pretty strong voice cast uh yeah, many totally. many names that are very familiar now from from the famous Dwight Schultz out of the A team uh who plays Harmon but you've got names that you know from lots of other games it's it's that sort of a cast of people like Michael goff and Greg Eagles um and Robin downs and, and Cam Clark and
2: and also um Josh you'll recognize this i don't know if uh you watch the Shield Leon but uh, Benito Martinez is Coyote Smith, who is uh, Aceveda from the Shield. Right. Oh, okay. oh
1: right. Oh, that's that's yeah. cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. And Tara Strong, and yeah, lots lots of other people like this. And and uh, overall, I'd say you know, I don't I don't think it's um it's a masterpiece of scripting and acting. But um, I mean, I think the like the uh, localization work is pretty strong, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, d- I don't know who did it. Um, and I think the acting is is um, generally solid on in that uh, you know mid two thousands comic book video game kind of style. It's yeah, it's not it's not necessarily um, high culture you know stage acting or whatever. But it mm-hmm. but it's um, it does it does the trick. And yeah, I, I, I kind of I segued to that because I was thinking about female actors female actors playing those parts and. And you know, and agreeing to do it, and that, and again, I know that doesn't necessarily make things okay. Um, but yeah, it's something it's something that interests me. I don't know how I feel to be truthful. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, I, I think uh,
1: I I've wanted to cut. Suda some slack and I I agree with you I think the later examples are worse especially Shadow of the Damned I think Mm. is probably the worst example Mm -hmm. of this kind of stuff but I think going all the way back to this which is the game that you know most people consider to be his best game and it to still be very heavily present here I think it was kind of the final nail in the coffin for me of just like okay I just your, your politics are not for me I just yeah yeah, I, 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 I get why people are able to forgive it because, and and I, to a certain degree, am able to look past it because there are aspects of this game I enjoy. I just, I'm not going to give him a pass on it
0: anymore. I'm Absolutely, gonna, sure. Yeah, totally. no, nor should you if you don't yeah. want to. This is, you know, this is what we always deal with on this podcast: is our experiences. Yeah, and if, like Sean, in the same way as Sean, shouldn't force himself to feel. Uh, Awkward, out of some sense of, uh, you know, liberal angst. Mm -hmm. Um, Nor should you, Josh, force yourself to cut somebody some slack when their work is making you feel uncomfortable. It's absolutely... As I say, I feel kind of conflicted, um, and I think that is partly because of my pet theory that makes me kind of... Although I say it doesn't make it okay, it kind of... It gives some sort of level of justification Mm -hmm. in my head. But, yeah, honestly, I'd rather he just... Left it alone, and yeah, it's because yeah. he's clearly got, in some ways, a really interesting mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a shame. You know, it's like so many, so many great filmmakers, uh, so many great musicians. You hear about some of their ex, you know, outside of work activities, yeah, and it makes yeah. it. It does make it to, hard to separate the art from the artist. In this case, uh, the artist is in the art, or perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it's a complete red herring, and actually he he loathes uh, sexism and and uh, the, you know the unequal treatment of of women and it's purely for the piece you know it's purely it's just that it's like you know he might say it's a it's a satire of um western sexualization mm. of female characters or something like that you know without without interviewing him it's so hard to know anyway we must move on uh, so those boss fights, um, they're dotted throughout the game. The, the level structure is kind of strange. There are seven main overall levels as such, but some of them are broken into bits. Some of them appear to have almost nothing to do with the overall arcing story. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: well, um, I, I think the, the structure of this... Uh, Reminded me a lot of uh, anime series from the mm-hmm. 90s, right. especially Cowboy Bebop. Really came to mm. mind in that the actual main story of Cowboy Bebop is at the beginning and then at the end, yeah. and then all <laughs> yeah. the episodes in between are these self-contained kind of little mini adventures. And mm. th- there are po- the, you know there are points in, in Killer Seven where I feel like they're really really trying their hardest to be Cowboy. Bebop, um, (laughs) but not quite hitting the mark because um they for, for whatever reason they kept adding more and more story to this whereas cowboy bebop understood that most story doesn't mean best story uh that you know the story of that show is pretty simple when you boil it down it's just really effectively conveyed whereas yeah. this is just so much stuff but it doesn't even focus <laughs> on it for that long it's like all this yeah. politics and nuclear bombs being launched into the sky and all the uh politicians and the world forgetting that electromagnetic pulses are a thing and that all technology would have been wiped out if they did that but um and and all of this stuff and then it focuses uh for a large portion of the game on these like um assassinations uh of these zany characters like uh um oh i forget the name of the character the 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 character that's the focus of the yeah, yeah, the the guy, <laughs> yeah. the head of the cult, who's yeah. probably the most memorable character in the game for me just because of his whole you know the cult and the fake uh organization that doesn't even exist and and having like his supporters drive these cars to test to see if they're the the you know the the <laughs> next person to take over from him all of that stuff i i found really interesting uh but yeah as you say like it has nothing to do with the main plot
0: yeah um and and that sort of uh I don't know if dyspepsia is the right word but it, it it there are all these crazy things like the boss fights don't always take the form of a boss fight so you have got some fights like the one you mentioned earlier with the two yes obviously it's insane because it's with yeah. these two already assassinated uh, men with their bla- with their brains flapping about um, and uh, but then you've got another one where it's simply a, a button mashing contest you've got another one where it's a kind of an interactive cutscene. Um, And the final boss is just, you know, you just have no idea what's going on. Um, First, you're shooting a man who is uh, who's already hanged himself. You have to shoot him left and right until he swings hard enough so that his trousers fall off. Then you shoot him in the groin. uh, (laughs) And just he sends these nightmare creatures after you who uh unavoidably kill yeah, um all of the one. Killer Seven apart from Garcian, which is really disconcerting at first because you're just thinking, what's go what am I doing? I don't understand because <laughs> yeah. I one of my pet hate things about video games is a boss fight where I don't know what I'm doing, what I'm yeah. supposed to be doing. Um you know it's another thing talk about Miyazaki. Like I like the fact that yeah, you know, I'm certainly no souls expert, but i like the fact that in at least in bloodborne which i have played a fair amount of you kill bosses by hitting them you know like that is there is no there's no secret to it in a way um i might be i might be there may be bosses that where that isn't the case but i like a I like a fight where yeah either i know it's a cliche but I have a big glowing point you know or, or whatever but um and actually the you know the trick was in this case that it is unavoidable that each of the uh uh, each of the 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 um, alter egos, which, but I don't think we even ex- explained exactly. But yes, these are these are physical um, manifestations, or well, this is what we believe. These are physical manifestations of uh, Garcia, and um, uh, they're all manifestations of Harmon. Is the is the story? Um,
2: oh, um, <laughs> or
1: are they manifestations of emir or right, what, yeah. what's going on and, and, there hang on, yeah. we haven't
0: mentioned emir yet oh sorry <laughs> no it's okay it's i mean we, we're gonna spoil it but uh emir is garcian but but this hasn't been revealed yet um well let's get into it thankfully we have uh our regular contributor again, Tadino, who saw us talking about <laughs> trying to do this podcast <laughs> on Twitter and thought he'd chip in as somebody who'd uh, who'd kind of got his head around this some time ago. <clears throat> so thanks. And I'm actually going to... Um, there's a couple of interjections, but this is essentially a synopsis and summary of what is revealed at the end of Killer7. So Emir, who is actually is the real name of Garcian. Emir was a kid that had the gene of crime and was taken in by the government to do its dirty work as an assassin. Eventually at the age of, well, I think he's supposed to be like 12 or 13. Yeah, or I something. think supposed to be 13. Yeah. He is tasked with killing the killer seven who are a group of assassins led by Harmon, who was also a principal in Emir's school. So, uh, <laughs> the in the 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 sort of penultimate interactive part um mm-hmm. emir or garcian goes back to this uh this part of the hotel and each uh enemy is kind of hoist by their own petard or, or what becomes their signature move later on so kevin who uh was the master of disguise is ent- I instantly identified and killed um but When he dies, he gains the ultimate means to avoid detection, which is his invisibility skill. Con, the blind gunman, was taken by surprise in his own room, uh, but in his death, he gains super hearing, which is used to solve one puzzle in the entire game, I think, and super speed. Kada, who who finds hidden paths, couldn't hide and therefore died, uh, and in her death... uh, after having tried to place a barrier between her and her assassin, she breaks barriers. Coyote, who can, uh, in his puzzle solving thing, is to jump up roofs, basically, uh, he is outflanked in this uh, and outwitted, so uh, in death, he has the ingenuity that could have saved his life. Mask was struck down when he was unmasked and most vulnerable in the shower. Uh, but Mars presents the image of an invulnerable superhero with his mask, uh, but is killed effortlessly while not wearing it. Whereas in his death, his mask grants him incredible powers, making him the strongest of the group. Uh, Dan, hard-boiled badass, can't beat Emir in a one-on-one standoff. Uh, he can talk, but he can't back it up in real life. Whereas in death, he does have the strength to back up. He, he, he's not all mouth and no trousers. Uh, and then uh, Garcian who kills all the others commits suicide out of guilt uh but he's sort of immortal hence the game otherwise there wouldn't be a game uh but in his death he can actually revive the other personas so as you can see there's all this going on and this you know this has all been this has all been put in place uh to make matters even crazier um the supplementary material apparently makes it clear that they were already dead when emir killed them and Harman had been using them as split personalities as the Killer7 syndicate, so they've been killed at least twice, can apparently manifest themselves separately from one another, and can be endlessly resurrected by Garcian. Uh, are you still with me? <laughs> There's more? <laughs> okay, so in this world, the United States government is controlled by Japan through a Seattle elementary school. <laughs> So, um, so he killed all of them, but Garcian, or Emir, uh, as he was originally known, ha- had a mental breakdown where he developed his multiple personalities uh, based on those very people he killed, the Killer Seven. Um, after that, he started to take orders from Harman, Yes, but that's a different Harmon from the one already mentioned. Uh, yeah. Uh, Harmon, by the way, dresses as a Jesuit priest. Don't know if we mentioned that, but he in does. one of his forms. Uh, <laughs> In one of his forms, yes. Uh, And that's when they started hunting together the the Heaven Smiles. Uh, So, in the world of Killer7, it's one where the UN has an incredible amount of power, and its only opposition is the Heaven Smile, the terrorist group, so dangerous that all air traffic in the world was banned, as we mentioned at the top of the show. During the time of the game, there's a conspiracy involving a bid for power by the Japanese government, and some of them were in league with the Heaven Smile. So, using that as an excuse, the U.S. obliterates Japan with nukes, uh, depending on the action that you choose at the end of the game. Yeah. This leads a surviving Japanese government member to seek revenge on the U.S., and that leads him to a school in Seattle, because actually that school is a special school where all future leaders of the U.S. are chosen. That's because the Secretary of Education is actually the most powerful man in America, because most election ballots are in school, therefore giving the Education Ministry the means to select any leader they want. So much so that the first president of the US was a school principal. This is also the school where Emir went and where the first Harman was a principal. After that's revealed, the Japanese diaspora around the world plans to band together in a single state and bids for revenge against the US and the UN, which leads us to the final choice of the game, whether you choose the East or West to, quote, win. Now, coming back to Harmon and uh, Kun Lan, who's been presented throughout the game, we haven't mentioned mm, <laughs> as yeah. a kind of <laughs> ultimate big bad. But also he has a sort of um, Magneto Professor X thing going on <laughs> totally. uh, yeah. where they play chess and Harman actually sits in a wheelchair with an X as a wheel. Uh, they, these are actually the personification of the West and East, respectively, and are a constant struggle throughout history, manipulating events from the shadows. They can also be seen as order versus chaos. Harman's order is the United Nations, and he uses Emir and the Killer Seven to maintain that order against Kunlan, who created the Heaven Smile. He himself is the last smile and manipulated the Japanese to tear down Harman's order. A hundred years later, the two continue to fight each other for supremacy around the globe. So... (laughs) After all... After all that, USA uh, versus Japan. This is this is uh, me again now. After all the USA versus Japan post-Pearl Harbour, Hiroshima, Nagasaki-inspired machinations are the main plot line. The ending implies that by the 22nd century, China has succeeded the USA as the world's dominant superpower. Uh, the sadistic choice at the end of the game presented to the player is uh, either to kill a character called Matsuoka, uh, leading the US to nuke Japan off the face of the planet, or you can let him live. In which case, Japan attacks the U.S. and that triggers World War Three, anyway. Uh, so, whichever option you take, it's a pretty bleak ending. Um, and it's implied that, regardless, the entire process will be beginning again in a hundred years. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, is this a work of insane genius, or is it the ramblings of an overexcited child, or somewhere in between? <laughs> <laughs> it can be both. It, I it, guess. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Somewhere in between sounds like the perfect kind of explanation for me because all of this reminds me of a 17 year old's like A-level kind of written project or something like that. It's yeah. it's all ideas and no consideration for those ideas fitting together or serving <laughs> a central thematic core. Um, it it's just. It's just, yeah, like it's throwing every kind of concept he could think of that he thought was cool into into a game and, and just not really tying them together. I, I think it's I think it, it's great as like a raw demonstration of imagination. Um you, you get a sense of like if this guy had some like proper like writing lessons or, or something like that, there's something there that could be fine tuned and, and and perfected, but as is, it's it's a mess.
0: You could have just described a Hideo Kojima game though, couldn't you? <laughs>
1: I could have done. <laughs> I I think the the difference between um uh Suda and uh, Hideo is that I do think Hideo Kojima has a central kind of theme that he's going for with each of his games. He just piles it on so thick yeah. that it it becomes a bit impenetrable whereas this I'm I'm not sure what Suda's trying to say.
2: Well, I think the no. the overall... Well, I don't know. I would think the overall theme of Killer7 is that war uh, <laughs> war never changes. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just constantly cyclical. You know, the more one country yeah. damages another, that, that keeps it going. But that's not necessarily uh, A, original, or um, B, very it's, well thought it's out.
0: To- if that is the story, and I think there's certainly a, a large element of that in it, it's never been told in quite the same no, way. totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think my, my problem with that being the central theme is that a lot of that stuff is introduced, like, right at the end. <laughs> yep. yeah. And, yeah. yeah. like, none of the Power Ranger stuff feeds into that. None of the, you know, the crazy stuff... Um, uh, in the Cloud Man stage or any of that, st- you know, st- like the one stage that is pretty much a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like, <laughs> none of that feeds into that central theme. Whereas with, you know, like a Metal Gear Solid game, y- that, like, there's a pretty clear idea of what Kojima's right. opinion right. is on a certain thing. You're um, very right. I-, I just... I wish he would focus... Uh, Suda, I wish he would t- have an idea and just focus on that because um, that he could make something really interesting. Because mm. his imagination is impressive, as I've mm. already said, but he's just no focus whatsoever.
0: Again, I'm slightly playing the role of of, uh, of devil's advocate as host here, um, just to open up the discussion. Again, wouldn't in some ways it be a shame? Yeah, that's what I was just. If say. he was, if people like. It, well, say people like him I, i'd say he's unique if uh these very obvious auteur game directors kind of had to channel it in that way mm-hmm. like it isn't part of isn't well, the uniqueness itself the fact that it is so completely all over the place throw everything in you know random juxtaposition bizarre strange whatever like even for every aspect of it from the storytelling to the even the fact that the cut scenes are, are um you know they they like use different styles of animation and anime and to tell the different stories you've got these multiple like facets of gameplay that it doesn't know whether it wants to be a an on-rails shooter or a, or a horror game or a first person uh game or, or what um like isn't isn't in a way the whole point of this experience uh for good or ill that it it is completely all over the place
1: i i mean i can see the appeal for other people but <laughs> yeah. for me like i much re- prefer miyazaki's approach where everything does have a purpose and everything it does feed into the narrative and um like uh, I I don't know. Like I, for me, it feels like wasted potential. I, for other people, they might look at this and go, "Wow, this is all over the place, isn't this cool? Isn't this off the wall?" But for me, it's just like, "Well, it's great. Like it's great. Like raw imagination." <laughs> but calm but,
0: down. <laughs> but
1: I I I look at Miyazaki's like work with Dark Souls and, and you know more recently uh, Bloodborne, where that is just everything ties together and fits together so perfectly once you've wrapped your head around the entire plot and every inch of that game uh, that to me is way more impressive than just pouring your brain onto a you know <laughs> onto a piece of paper and seeing what happens like that like this this is impressive in some ways but like not as impressive as somebody who really knows what they're doing
2: hmm. Sean, Yeah, how do you feel I'm, about I'm it the, overall? Uh, total opposite. <laughs> um I you know, I you know, I totally appreciate stuff like Miyazaki's too where everything is coherent, but I I really don't think I would have any appreciation for Kilo 7 if it wasn't so uh as off the wall as it is. If it was streamlined in I think in any way, if it was streamlined in visuals or controls or uh storytelling or anything i i just, it wouldn't hold the place it does uh for me and yeah i just i <sighs> but i totally understand why people would not get into that at all you know it's kind of like uh people who don't like punk music um you know it's, mm. it, it seems like it's and he's very much like a punk director you know he's he just does yeah. whatever he wants mm. and 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 it's not always uh it doesn't always connect but i don't know for for me
0: for this one because it's just so insane uh i loved it there's a couple of uh, little extras to talk about um this game contains its own sequel well not really uh when you complete the game you unlock killer eight uh which is it changes the title screen it even changes the save icon i checked (laughs) <laughs> um, to to a different uh, different number um, this is the same game again but with one more playable character who is the young version of Harman um, it massively increases the difficulty level uh, to uh, something utterly brutal with one hit kills for you and uh, the enemy heaven smiles requiring many many more shots uh, so that's there if you want it, oh by the way it also removes all the helpful icons off the map but then you've already completed the game, so that's fine. You don't need those, right? Um, If I was going to ever play that, it would be on the GameCube version if I could get a save from somewhere, but uh, I don't see that happening. And then there is Hopper 7. (laughs) Uh, Hopper 7 uh, replaces every single normal Heaven Smile with Hopper Men. (laughs) <laughs> including during the cutscenes, who appear as men dressed in black shorts, black and white striped t shirts and who wear a large green grasshopper outfits on their backs, they do no more damage than regular heaven smiles and can be killed instantly with a single shot uh, this uh, The mode is otherwise completely unchanged from killer seven mode um, and yeah uh, that's, so that 's that yeah it 's uh, a little grasshopper treat for fans of. Uh, Grasshopper manufacturer Completing Hopper 7 does not unlock anything So you know Now let's hear from our uh, Wonderful community forum. This was a game we didn't get any emails for But we did get a few nice forum posts So Sean S. Thomas says I'm a bit of an OCD gamer And if I buy a game I tend to complete it Killer 7 is one of the few exceptions to that rule Having heard a lot of positive things about it and generally being one for the slightly out there music, films and games, I thought I'd adore this. I picked it up on PS2 a year or so after it came out, and maybe I just expected too much. What I did expect was a game of some sort. Instead, I got an experience that seemed to involve pushing a button to run along a predetermined route, the occasional gesture to move the cursor over an enemy, and the option to then open fire. It did sound really eerie, however, and aesthetically it was really intriguing. Being a graphic designer, I loved the art style and kooky on-screen info, things which have stayed with me several years on. But as an actual game, I just found it incredibly tedious. Not pandering to the gamer is one thing, flatly refusing to explain the mechanics of your game and how it works is just bad design. It's good to see people trying something different, which I'd wholeheartedly agree with and encourage, so I guess this one just wasn't for me. However, much like Suda51's other work, in particular the almost good but ultimately really irritating No More Heroes titles, I feel like there's a semi-competent film student attempting to say something insightful whose message is drowning in a fairly dull and barely realised game. Next up, we have Alex79UK. He says, I remember being fascinated by Killer 7 upon release. It looked really interesting to me, something I definitely wanted to play. I loved the visual style, and knowing from previews, etc., that the story was a bit on the crazy side definitely appealed to me. I didn't actually get around to playing it until last year, whereupon it utterly baffled me. I wandered around completely clueless, battling with the odd controls, game design, navigation systems. Nothing about it seemed conventional. I just couldn't really get my head around any of the game at all. After posting on this forum and watching a couple of review or playthrough videos, I got the hang of it though, and started to really enjoy it. It was like the illegitimate love child of Tarantino and David Lynch. I only played for a couple of levels before moving on to something else, but it's definitely something I'd like to return to at some point. I don't think an HD re-release is really necessary given the nature of the graphics, they're pretty timeless, but I would really like a PS2 Classics release, or perhaps a Vita port, about as likely as a Mario 64 port, I should imagine, just so I don't have to plug in an old co- console to play it. But if that's the only way I'm going to be able to return to this true oddity of a game, then I'll be happy to do so. Once again, to Dino, Daniel Gomez weighs in with his uh, opinions this time of the, the overall Killer7 experience, of which he says, Killer7 is not so much a game as it is an enigma. Is it a game about the subtle imposition of Western culture over Eastern cultures and the clash and mixture between the two? Maybe it's a critical deconstruction of the survival horror and first-person shooter genres, where both are reduced to their basics, crazy puzzles, aimless exploration and pointing and shooting while moving on a straight line. Or maybe it's all about the view of the world through the eyes of an insane person. Or it's all just a bunch of nonsense with no meaning thrown into the screen to see what sticks. For me, Killer7 is all of the above and more i've never played a game that left me so confused and fascinated at the same time as this one gameplay wise it's very simple you just scan shoot and occasionally use abilities and items i really liked the whole process though the puzzles never got too annoying or obtuse it was mostly just a matter of switch to the right smith and it would be done i did have some cases where i would wander around wondering what to do but those weren't the norm and i eventually figured them out The gunplay, while not the most precise thing in the world, did its job, and I really like the process of stop scanning and shooting, and of changing between the Smiths to see which weapon worked best for each situation. Not only that, but the kinetic feel of the guns is great, and nailing a perfect shot is so satisfying, it justifies the shooting segments. But, if I'm honest, what really drew me in was seeing what other crazy events were going to happen just around the next corner – If it was going to be a crazy Brazilian cult leader that turns into a monster or a cosplay assassin that works for a middle-aged man. It also helps that both the music and the visuals were immediately appealing to me, making every level interesting to go through even when I was stuck. Ultimately though, Killer7 is a hard game to reach a conclusion on, and that's maybe part of the point, if there is a point to be had. But regardless of what you think about the game, you can't deny its uniqueness, and that can be both a good and a bad thing. For me, I think it's good. But at the same time, I wouldn't recommend this game for anyone looking for a great gameplay or story. But if you want to experience something you've never seen before, well, it's hard to find something more memorable and weird than Killer7. Fair do's. Thanks, everybody, as ever, for your uh, invaluable contributions. Uh, we also have contributions in just three words from Twitter. Follow us at Kane KaneAndRintz. Okay, Sean Thomas says, style over substance. Global Megadude Dan, multiple personality disorder. Corey Williams, memorable, strange controls. Ashley Day says,
2: what actually happened? Ben Taylor, understood some bits. Lee the Knight, bloody surreal gunplay.
1: Simon Cole says, suda's most memorable.
0: Daniel Gomez says, Journey of Smiles. And Robin R says, (laughs) You're f***ed. Right, I think it's fairly apparent the order in which we do this. (laughs) Uh, Regular listeners will know that I always like to uh, work up to the most uh, positive person. Sometimes it's harder than others. Let's start with Josh.
1: I really want to see a re-release of this game because I think a lot of my problems would be solved just by having an experience that was uh, running at a better frame rate and and had slightly smoother controls because I think the core of this game is really compelling and there's something there. Um, I enjoyed my encounters with certain types of enemies. Um, the, it was just some enemies I had a problem with, like the laser smiles, and uh, some enemies that uh, were just really hard to uh, pick off from a distance, and and stuff like that. But like the the core gameplay was compelling. Um, the art style is just all over the place in a good way I did appreciate the art direction in this game and the sound design is uh, memorable those those heaven smiles laughs will stay with you for a long time I think the story is a complete mess and for as crazy and creative as it is there's no focus and there's there's nothing really driving it forward apart from whatever idea happens to be the core of that level at that time um i think uh this game kind of you know i i've already mentioned this but like suda's politics just do not mesh with me and i think this game kind of finally was you know the final nail in the coffin for me and i, I just can't i can't give suda a pass for that stuff anymore but i i i can i think what frustrates me is that there is a game that I would love in here somewhere um, but ultimately I just came away liking it
0: yeah not too not too shabby really well in some ways you're less confused than me <laughs> then because <laughs> I really don't know how to sum up this game I've been thinking about it I'm actually surprised um, by how few uh, how, how few times we've had to go to the thesir- thesaurus for uh, you know variations of bizarre rum strange uncanny weird out there outré etc etc um but those are the adjectives that kept coming to mind when i was playing killer seven um it shocked me at times Uh, it made me laugh a couple of times i think um it frustrated me a heck of a lot and a lot of that was probably more to do with the ps2 version being uh a bit janky a bit of a shoddy port than than anything but also there were there were other elements just i felt so suffocated being on rails the whole time uh i got fed up of being lost when i felt like i shouldn't be lost um there was even a bit later on where the game fully bugged out and if i hadn't kept rolling saves i wouldn't have been able to continue um there's a puzzle involving shooting locker doors um and at one point, you collect. Uh, you're supposed to collect uh, Mask's final costume, and I did that. And that didn't. Then it didn't allow me to continue shooting the lockers to open the next door, which is a weird puzzle anyway. Um, there's that word weird. It's a weird game. Um, uh, so I had to go back to a previous save and not collect the final. Costume for mask, which was a shame because it's really powerful um, to continue. So, so there are there are technical issues. There are issues with uh, yes, some of um, Suda's writing. I suppose we can call it. I mean, also this is co-written by Shinji Mikami, lest we forget. So he should take some of the blame for the scattershot um, approach. Uh, I think th- I think the game outstayed its welcome. Uh, I really was feeling like it was a slog uh, until Gary Wanderers turned up and, uh, and saw me to the finish line. But again, I've said this so many times on Kane and Rince, it's a game that I you know, wanted the excuse to play. Making a podcast like Kane and Rince was you know, as much as anything about me getting through my backlog and having you know airing opinions on these games that I've been wanting to play for years. It took me 10 years to get around to it. It's another one I'm really, really glad I did. I think a lot of people would really hate this game um but i think it's worth i think it's worth giving it a try if you can find it especially if you do say if you do have an old gamecube copy in your in your pile of shame um if you give it some time it is a game that will stick with you i feel um although i feel more fondly towards deadly premonition there there are similarities in that this game is similarly unsettling and weird and memorable um, but it also you know shares some of that game 's uh, sort of technical shortcomings, however, uh, that game you you have have an actual freedom of movement generally to wander around which which uh, which is quite an important aspect for me so yeah i don 't know um, yeah it 's an odd fish i 'll put it that way
2: <laughs> Sean yeah, I absolutely love killer Seven, and it 's hard to explain that without sounding super pretentious, but i 'm going to try. Go (laughs) for it. So, like, uh, with all types of art for me, um, I seem to gravitate towards uh, works done by artists who kind of just pour themselves all over it. So, like, you know, when you see a David Lynch movie, you know that's a David Lynch movie and you know that that's a Spike Lee movie or, you know, it keeps going from there. Same with music, same with uh, TV shows. And and it's not fair to just always say, like, this is a Suda51 game because, clearly, way more people than him worked on it. But having seen his work since then, you totally can just tell that this was his his baby. And he's said since uh, up to this point in time that this is his still his favorite uh, game that he's ever worked on. And I imagine that's because he just had total creative freedom given to him by Capcom mm. and I just love seeing that and I love that he just anything that you look at in this game from the visuals to the gameplay to the music which I think I was, I, I feel shame that we didn't um, focus on more because I love the music in this game and um,
0: yeah I, I yeah. like a lot of it very much yeah we'll, we'll hear some of it obviously which is always
2: Killer7 is the reason why I'll always give the next suit a game a shot and I've been consistently let down more and more with each release. (laughs) Even though this is... I think this is the only one... Well, maybe No More Heroes, right? But he hasn't really directed much since around this time. Uh, His name just has always slapped on to all these games. And every game that his name is slapped on, I'm just kind of getting more and more uh, let down with. But uh, because he made Killer7, is the reason why I'll always give his games and Grasshopper games a shot, just because it's so different and so unique. And... I've never played a game like it since or, or before. So, um, yeah, I just, I totally recommend everyone give it a shot. And there's, like you said, Leon, there's totally a chance that someone's just going to absolutely hate everything about it. Um, and there's totally a chance you're going to love everything about it. And that's, I think, what makes some of the best art out there. So, yeah, highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's probably safe to assume, given the way gaming works now, that he'll never get to make a game, a studio game like this ever again um uh the, you know this this is a piece of its time in that you know he might get to make something that's completely <laughs> him um and obviously you can do a lot with quite a low budget these days but whether it's as as part of you know whether it's funded independently or um you know crowd funded or or whatever um working within the frame of you know what was at the time one of the the biggest most consistently brilliant studios yeah. At the time you know got him the backing and the and the support to make a game of this scope and ambition and you know whether he whether he succeeded in terms of enjoyment for each individual or failed um yeah there's no doubting that um that he made a mark with it and 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 I really do think that this is kind of an un- unquantifiable but I don't think there is uh, an 0 game maker whose work is more instantly recognisable. Like for me, I I think, you know, you could, you you might need to look at a few different screenshots or or watch an hour or so of of Mm -hmm. a Kojima game or say something like that to necessarily know it was absolutely definitely him. Whereas a Suda game, you, you pretty much, you can just see it and feel it and hear it instantly. And again, if you don't like what he does then that's not yeah, a good thing yeah. but but but, I like you know I like that there are people like that just um, yeah even if I don't agree with all, as with Josh you know certainly not comfortable with all his uh, depictions of certain types of character and stuff but but I am into people having a real you know a creative say on the game rather than games being designed by committee and focus tested and all that sort of thing I think it's really important right soapbox over Um, that's another uh, another podcast and uh, so it just remains for me Leon to thank Josh and Sean and to remind you that next time in issue 181 we begin our five podcasts looking back at Bungie's famous sci-fi FPS series with the monster Xbox Live hit and contentious single player campaign of Halo 2 (laughs)